Welcome to this episode of Let's Chat. I'm your host, Chris Revel, coming to you from the Cat Cave in Providence, Rhode Island. I'm recording this intro on my phone, but the I assure you, the rest of the episode we recorded on uh, actual equipment. It's just a lot of time and energy to set up my equipment, and I'm very tired, so here we are. Uh, what a great episode with Tad Stones. You might not know the name, but the man is behind so much. If you're of a certain age, of certain like childhood and so many animated things. I mean, his work goes back from like Gummy Bears. He worked on DuckTales. I was more familiar because I'm a huge fan of the, the old sitcom uh, Darkwing Duck, which he created. And that was a show. Of all the Disney afternoon, that was the one I thought that held up the most when I rewatched him. He also created Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers, which I absolutely love. But Darkwing Duck, I think I like as an adult as well, not with for no nostalgic purposes. It's just a good show. Uh, so that was really cool. And this is so fun. This is like animation month. Maybe you listened to our, uh, the previous episode. If not, you can go back where we had um, John Schroeder. Stephen Davis and a little pop in from Kelvin Yu from uh, the writers for Bob's Burgers, which is a fun connection that uh, Tad actually did some of the storyboarding for 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 Bob's Burgers, which we'll talk about. But I mean, Tad, I mean, he worked for Disney. He was an Imagineer. He's worked for Netflix. He's done DreamWorks. He did the Hellboy animated series. Like, look him up online. Tad Stones. He he's done everything. He's currently retired, but man, what a what a nice guy to set aside some time and talk about it. And it's crazy that all these years later, like uh, Darkwing Duck is uh, still it's still it's still relevant to the culture, especially because if anyone else there is watching the new season of Ducktales on Disney, I cannot recommend it enough. Actually, Tad and I talk about this episode. It's fucking amazing, and season one just ended, and I will honestly it may it will probably bring you to tears. It was so beautiful, and uh, there's tons and tons and tons of Darkwing Duck references layered within the show. Uh, so that, and I think that's really cool, and it's it's nice because you get to see Tad being a fan of it, and so it, it it's interesting and. Uh, just what a great episode. I have, I found this guest. I found Tad online because there's a podcast I love that I found through the old hashtag Potter family called the Channel Surfing Pod. It's looking through their list, and I saw Tad Stone's a, a creator of Darkwing Duck or something, so obviously I had to listen. I listened. I loved it. I sent Tad a tweet. Uh, we started DMing. Uh, this is a few months back, and he was just said he'd love to do it, but he was busy. He just wanted to wait. Uh, so I was like, absolutely. Waited. Uh, showed him my email again, and we followed up, and bam, we recorded an episode. So goes to show you. I'm, I'm going to try to tell everyone how I get guests, because some people times ask. I mean, my approach is different. I, I, I tried many different avenues. If that tweet did not work, I would have gone through proper channels and PR and all that stuff. But uh, Twitter, Twitter is fucking great. I can't recommend it enough. Follow him on Twitter at Tad Stones. His Instagram is really good. I kind of I think you'd really enjoy that as well. You could follow him on Facebook, but put he said not to add. And if you are listening to this real time, 2018 August, I believe it's August 30th to September 3rd. He's going to be in Dragon Con, which I believe is in Atlanta, Georgia. So if you're at Dragon Con and you listen to this show, please, please, please go up to Tad and tell him that you heard him on Let's Chat, and just let me know, and it will blow my fucking mind. Uh, but Tad's a great guy. Follow him online. Go back. Watch all these old cartoons. Watch watch the new DuckTales, first off, and then watch some of the old stuff. It's it's fun. I, I'm... As a, a father of a 16-month-old, I'm waiting. As she's slowly getting older, I'm like, oh my god, I get to go back and show her all of these cartoons and pretend they're for her, but they're really for me. Uh, as, um... I'll have a little State of the Pod episode coming out sometime next month to give a little more uh, clarity to to what I'm about to say. But um, essentially, not essentially, this will be the last episode that Let's Chat will come out on the uh, Core Temp Arts Network. I can't thank you, Carly, and everyone on Core Temp Arts Network for all of your support and everything. 
the short version of it was is I just uh, was having a hard time keeping the show going, so I'm trying to remove any little piece of stress so I keep the show going. And it is. I'm getting really into it. I'm ready to branch out and go solo, see what new opportunities might come my way, and been doing it for a long time, so I'm kind of haven't not been in a network in a while, so just we'll see what happens. Anyway, follow me on Let's Chat Podcast on Twitter, Facebook. Uh, my email is letschatpodcast.gmail.com, Instagram, all that good stuff. Let's get to it. Daring book of mystery, champion of right, swoops out of the shadows, dark wing of the night, somewhere some villain schemes, but his numbers up, three, two, one, dark wing up. I'll be 34 on Saturday, so like so much of your work, I uh, as you get older, you go back and then like I, I love animation, love voiceover, love all that stuff, and you start looking up and you start seeing the same names, and I'm like, oh my god, you did everything I loved as a kid. <laughs> it's good. Thanks. Yeah, but much of it holds up, you know, because there's a lot of animation from that era that I don't go back to, you know, like I like yeah, it probably yeah. holds up better for fans than it does for me because when I look at old shows, all I see are things I want to change. Yeah, of course, because, of course. Because not not just because modern sensibilities are different, but um, uh, just oh, I wish I'd given a note on that kind of thing, or I'd love to just edit it, you know, just for timing purposes. Yeah, but it seems to be pretty popular. So no, and and, and a lot of those. And a lot of stuff you worked on was like very like, I mean, Darkwing is I, Darkwing Duck is the thing I think I was the most obsessed with of yours of of all the things you've worked on, and um, comedic timing on that show was incredible. And with animation is so and comedy is so much about timing and preciseness, but Darkwing yeah. got it so well. I mean, it was I mean again with my eye it varies from yeah. studio to studio because we use like, you know five or six studios overseas because we had production was so fast. Um, I was just marveling, frankly, at the new DuckTales, uh, oh, the know. episode that just came out. Their timing is consistently outrageously good and much better animated. People who say, oh, it's not animated as well as the old one. It's like, are you kidding? I think they're confusing art style with animation because – I watched Scrooge McDuck come in and go through this whole um, monologue, basically going through all sorts of emotions, and his acting was fantastic and snappy, and and the, I, like I say, the timing was perfect. Oh yeah, uh, and we could never count on that. We could just hope for the best. Hey, the new Ducktales is uh, incredible, and um, that's one of the things that. Um, so I have a I have a, a one year old, so it's one of those things I could watch with her, which you know she doesn't 
get it, but I know Doctor it wasn't. Sure, she retains a lot. Uh, yeah, she likes the song that, a lot. That's an Easter egg, honey, yeah. from the 1987. Yeah, <laughs> that's the old Webby. But you know, when you have kids, yeah. you do that thing. You're like, well, if I start this now in five years, you might care. But she really likes yeah. the song, and it's just become like a oh, ritual. To, <laughs> to, to a ritual in the morning, like I'm like, oh, we're gonna watch all the new Ducktales. So. um which I love the Darkwing Duck thing they did, where they oh kinda... yeah they they were that was brilliantly done oh. and they they really captured the spirit and the and the feeling of that and a lot of that was Ben Ballesteri did the storyboards and Ben's actually a producer on Tangled the series and big fan of mine and worked with me on later shows um, and when he heard they had a sequence it was like you know he, lives were threatened I'm sure. <laughs> So he, after working a full day as producer, he then spent the night doing that. And I think online you can find his, um, his quote, rough storyboards, which are totally clean. And he's the one who put in like the shush billboard in the background. Um, the uh, rat catcher was not called for in the script. He just put it in the background oh. of one scene to design that. He designed all the characters there. People asked, why is Liquidator so buff? Well, because Ben drew him that way and looked really good. Uh, but just, I just thought that was perfectly done. You know, those are the perfect guys to work on. I forgot, I heard someone say this. So I, I'm starting to hit that age where the people that are running companies grew up on the stuff I loved. So, like, you're seeing DuckTales made by fans. Like, the people making DuckTales, yeah, exactly. probably a little older than me, but they grew up with the Disney Afternoon, which you were, you know... <laughs> You know very well. <laughs> Frank, Frank Angonis, uh, who's the co-producer and story editor of the show, he was Darkwing Duck for Halloween th for three years. Uh, he did a school report on Darkly Don the Duck. Um, he was obsessed with Darkwing, so that guy knows Darkwing. When people say, oh, I'm disappointed, it was just a one-minute glimpse of an old TV show, it's like this Halloween kid is not going to leave it there. I'm sure he's got all sorts of ideas for you know, but it is DuckTales, not Darkwing, so... Yeah, oh, no, of course. Is, you know, but uh, obviously in good hands. I, I like that thing with the launch pad kind of doing the thing, like, the older people. Like, back in my day, we we had actors who were... Men were her men, like, that kind of thing with Drake Bell. Like, I just OCD, thought it was... Yeah. Uh, so, so brilliant. Um, I, I guess I kind of want to start, because I know you are, like, uh, you worked for sure. Disney for a number of years. Like, so what was your path from, like, college to Disney? I guess I'm sure a lot of people are like, how do you do this? Uh, I'm well, not was, one of those people. Well, I mean, here's, here's the thing. Everybody gets in the business in a different way, and especially when you're talking to somebody who got into it 40 years ago. You know, there's not a lot of, oh, I want to do it that way. Uh, no, I was in uh, – I, I wanted to be in animation. Mm -hmm. uh, I just fell in love with it very early in life. My dad had wanted to be a cartoonist, had a lot of art books. He never took that path, but I had – fantastic art books and how to cartoon type stuff and some animation books. So I certainly knew the process. Um, but as I got older, I felt like, well, the only place I want to animate at is Disney and they have their guys. And at the time it was true, but what changed later high school and then in college is Disney decided they still wanted to do animated features and they approached the animators and said, you know, what are you doing to train a new generation? And they mm. thought, you know, they had lived all their lives with Roy Disney, always wanting to shut down the place because he thought, oh, we have enough. We'll just keep re-releasing them. Uh, 
which started like with Pinocchio or something. Um, anyway, uh, the sweet mate of my girlfriend, who's now my wife, uh, was the daughter of Exitensio, uh, Tori Atencio, who works at Imagineering right now. And um, so she said, no, they have a training program and uh, gave me a name, which was Donald Duckwall, was the guy's name. So it's very hard to forget. And I called just for information. And he said, so when do you want to come in? How about this date? And it was like, okay. Uh, but I wasn't an art major. I'd been, I started as an art major. A lot of my English teachers wanted me to switch to English because of my writing. Um, I ended up with this weird humanities major, which <laughs> ended up never taking a writing class. And, <laughs> and the, all the art classes turned out to be like ceramics and sculpture and things like that. So who knew? Uh, anyway, luckily the ceramics teacher who I was a, TA for um, was filling in as head of the art department as the head of the art department was on sabbatical. And I said, can I sit in on some art classes and, you know, life drawing class and things like that? And he said, oh, sure. And he loved Disney. He could do the goofy yell and demonstrated. Um, so anyway, that let me put together a portfolio. I was accepted and that was in 74. Um, so I actually... I didn't have a job lined up, but I started at Disney three days after my graduation. And the manager of the department said, you know, if you make it, you don't get a vacation for a year. Do you want to take some time? And I said, I'm not going to enjoy any vacation <laughs> I, unless I know I'm in or not. Uh, so, you know, I started and did uh, I came in like five months after Ron Clements, who did. You know, Great Mouse Detective, Little Mermaid, Aladdin, Moana, Treasure Planet. Um, and just before Glenn Keane, who's, you know, one of the top animators of all time. So that was my little nook. And I did two personal tests and went into in-betweening on the original Rescuers. And I was terrible at in-between. I came very close to being fired for that. And it wasn't until years later when I was in story that I went, oh, that's what they meant. There was a conceptual thing about in-betweening that I had missed. And thinking back, it's like, no, they said the right words. It just never clicked in here. Um, so uh, that started my long career at Disney. Um, I, you got ahead by doing personal tests. And uh, at one point, I kept doing new personal tests, but not showing them because I had a better idea. And I called somebody in the room for advice, the same manager of the department. And I said, is this worth going back in and finishing? And he said, no, show it as it is. This is great. And there was a little pause. And he said, yeah, we had almost given up on you. It was like, nobody thought to mention this. You could have like <laughs> a six month review say, hey, what are you doing? Uh, anyway, I was made an assistant animator off that, but I realized it was I was constantly coming up with new ideas, and I felt like I rather come up with what a character does than having him do it. Mm. So, in other words, I was looking at story, and I got a chance. I worked in story on Fox and Hound, uncredited, but uh, learned all sorts, and then did some special projects and. I had a career that went through Imagineering and some licensing stuff. And then suddenly one day found myself in Michael Eisner's house on a Sunday talking about TV animation. 
and that was at the beginning of Disney TV animation. And I actually went back to features, and then about eight months, nine months later, um, I switched over to TV. So I my so someone might I didn't that age watching television. I guess I didn't. You never. I was still in that part of my life, not realizing that it's made by people. <laughs> you know, like you're that young. So was that, that's yeah. curious. I, I have to stop you for a moment, only oh, sure. because that's very common that I hear that people say I didn't realize it was. You know, these things were made, and because I think two things because I grew up with those famous artist cartooning courses that my dad mm. had, which showed the guys how to create a comic um, and behind the scenes at Marvel Comics type stuff. And the Dick Van Dyke show, which showed mm. writers in a room writing. I never had that, you know, sudden revelation of, oh, people create these stories. It's kind of like Santa Claus for me. The um, yeah. At a very early age... It's certain presents were marked from Santa, but I like recognized my mom's handwriting and I just assumed they were being cute. I didn't, I never had that, you know, yeah, guys yeah. down a chimney. So it was a very smooth flow. He could have existed, but it wasn't a big concern to me because I had plenty of presents and I'll take what I got. Exactly. So, did, so. was Disney Afternoon, was that like a thing that Eisner and you like was? I guess, I guess my in my head it was just always there. No, it was it's the first shows that we did were um, gummy bears, right? Gummy bears, and what had happened is the show we had to sell was Wuzzles, because okay, Disney had come up with an idea. I think it was called, and this is licensing and merchandising guys. Um, they were pushing to get into television because that's how you sell toys. And mm -hmm. Disney at that time was putting out feature films once every four years, five years. That's how God. slow production was. Jesus. you got to realize, when I started in the department, there were, not counting ink and paint, there were 65 people. That's it. That was oh everybody. You know, God. secretaries, assistant directors, everybody. You know, so it was very small doing these things. So... Um, you know, as usual, I do this a lot. Yeah, of course. What was I talking about before that? Um, Gummy bears. Oh, okay. Anyway, the licensing guys had come up with this idea called Jumble Isle um, or Jumble Island. And basically it was where the trade winds crossed and animals got mixed up. So they were, you know, half bumblebee, half lion, a bumble lion. Um they started showing this to different toy companies trying to get interest in it, and they showed it to Hasbro, and the guys turned white and left and said, we can't look at this. And then later came back and, and said, we have this exact idea of combination animals, and the plush toys are designed to go out in, in just a few months. Um Anyway, so Disney decided rather than compete in the marketplace with somebody who would already be out there, um, they said, let's do a deal and we will create this show together. So they took on the name Wuzzles, which was the Hasbro toy name. And um, so they had to sell that show. But uh, Michael Eisner and Jeffrey said, you can't just go with one idea. You have to come up with other shows. And in the original meeting at Michael's house, one of the things he said was, 
you know, my kids came back from camp and all they talked about was this new candy called gummy bears. I swear <laughs> if you do a show called gummy bears, it'll be a hit. So Jim Megan basically had the mandate to come up with a show called gummy bears. And the first ideas, I guess, were because remember, I went back to feature, so I didn't see what was going on. But it was very much a Candyland type show with a villain called Licorice Whip and whatever, even to the point where just like He-Man used to give a moral at the end of the show, they were going to do messages of dental hygiene at the end because they were so, you know, worried about yeah. a show based on candy. Uh, anyway, Art Vitello came on, a uh, great director, and he and Jim worked together and basically looked at Asterix and Oblix and these great European comics and said, and created that show, The Gummy Bears. Um, they called all the networks and they basically returned the calls in the order that they called back. And I think, if I get this right, I think... NBC called first, and they pitched the shows, and they wanted gummy bears. Mm. Of course, this scene to say, oh, we we still have these other meetings. So they went and had CBS, and CBS says, there's just one show? Okay, we'll take it. Uh, and then ABC they just had a nice conversation with because they were out of shows. Um, and in the early days, that was constantly the thing is, like, production would say, we can, we can only ramp up to do one show, and, you know, Michael and Jeffrey would ask for three and they would get two. And so they're constantly pushing the people to go more and more. Um, anyway, so those are the first shows. And then the third idea, well, we did play with fluffy dogs. It was a special, um, trying to think what else was going on then. But anyway, the idea of doing DuckTales came up very early on. I think Ken Kuntz and David Weimers, which who are a writing team uh, working on Wuzzles and uh, worked on all the early shows. They knew Carl Barks a lot. Jim Megan knew Carl Barks a lot. I mean, his, all those comics. Um, and they began developing on that show. And then I came over and was technically in management. My title was creative manager, <laughs> um, which just meant I, I was supposed to talk to outside writers and have them pitch ideas, but because I was so ignorant of how the business worked and I felt like I should be pitching ideas if we haven't paid for them or something, you know, which yeah. is business works. Um, I would come up with all sorts of ideas and we'd have a gong show and there was one gong show that had, I know we pitched 22 shows and I think I came up with 18 of them. And Jim Megan came up with all the rest. And that's while he was doing a full-time editing job on gummy bears. Um, and those things were like one-liners, like uh, uh, Trojan birds and what were they? Legion. Yeah, the Trojan birds and the legionnaire cats. And it was like the Roman legion attacking Troy up in the trees. And it was like roadrunner coyote type stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that was it. I mean, there was no other development other than a title and all that. And they would go, gone next. Um Anyway, so that was my role. And then third season of uh, Gummy Bears, um, NBC wanted to work with somebody else. They pitched me. Jim went into development and um, worked on DuckTales. Um, and that's how I got into the back into the creative side. Uh, so were you a writer on Gummy Bears? Is that correct? I was the co-producer and, co and uh, story editor. So it was... Yeah, so I was I was basically the showrunner along with Alan Zaslav. Yeah, and and this is kind of an era where 
I guess it's funny because a showrunner. I so I don't work in your the the industry at all. I actually I work at a hospital. Uh, but like people like me now know what a showrunner is. I think that's because of the internet and podcasting and all. Yeah. That, exactly. YouTube, which is so interesting. So you were doing that before. Um, I I actually am always curious because like, like I've no I, I've read. I actually didn't here. at that time. I remember when I was working on the show. Mm. I was called the story editor, and uh, they didn't make me co-producer until. The season was done. I said, "Well, if I knew I was the co-producer, I would have given, given different notes. <laughs> I yeah. would have stepped on Alan's toes more." <laughs> uh, but I mean, it was just—it was a learning thing for me too. The first stories went through pretty easy, and then I was having roadblocks, and you know, yeah. just working with the network and what they considered the basics of story. Um, I hadn't gone through a lot of analysis. I just came up through Disney, and and my general sense of story was all. You know, what I learned at the feet of the nine old men working yeah. on, on features. Now, so, like, as a producer, I, I guess I don't fully ever understand that title because I've heard... Uh, it, because it's different in every studio. Yeah. yeah. And some do nothing, some, some places, do everything. <laughs> it, once you get into live action, it's crazy. You, it's, you can be a producer or an executive producer just because you were the guy who originally uh, optioned a book eight years before and have nothing to do with the project, but you may be attached to it. Uh, and in television, it can be, be just a title they give writers as the writers move up. Mm -hmm. um, it can be a brother-in-law or it can be the guy who kills himself. So generally, we treated producers as, and later on I took the title of executive producer. Usually that was tied to raises. Um, it was what we called a line producer was the person who kept the trains running on time, you know, mm -hmm. who was in charge of uh, production managers and assistants to, you know, literally back then we shipped the shows in boxes, you know, and they were in charge of staying late and putting the paper and Xeroxes in there and making the appropriate copies and literally shipping them overseas. Uh, and then the creative side tended to be just your producer, your creative producer, and story editor. Even the term story editor in live action, that's like a lower rank, where in animation, at least at that time, it was like, no, he's the equivalent of the head writer, the story runner. So Frank Aragonis of DuckTales is co-producer and story editor. Well, he's in charge of story, works closely with Matt Youngberg, who's the executive producer. Um, but that... Like we said at the beginning, that team are all fans. And that really makes a difference. Uh, for so long, uh, television animation was like the black sheep of the company. We made lots of money, but it's like there were many times people at Features, not the rank and file who I'd come in with, but some of their management was saying, like, when are we going to stop this television animation thing? Because it's destroying the Disney name. Um <laughs> And, and that was it. So it wasn't like, you know, we made plenty of money. We were successful, uh, especially when direct video started happening. Um, but we didn't get it, it was just a weird thing in a, when you think of the companies now. Uh, so it's so cool that last year to visit TV animation and they've now decorated the walls and they decorated it with the history. So you see model sheets from the Wuzzles and Gummy Bears and Darkwing Duck all the way to their brand new shows. And even some of the executives said, why are we putting the old shows there? It should be all our new stuff. And the guy who was designing the wallpaper basically said, 
these are the shows that your entire staff watched when they were kids. And some of the people who worked on those shows are still working there. So it was incredible to see that. And even some of the pattern wallpaper are just silhouetted shapes. And then when you look at them really close, you see their silhouettes of characters and vehicles from so cool. the history of the company. And it just is such a great thing. And now through technology and saner schedules, although I'm sure the guys don't feel it that way, yeah. <laughs> uh, I feel the quality is so much better and uh, consistently better mm. um, for all their shows, you know, in a variety of styles. So I always, I it's just great to see that tradition move on. Oh, absolutely. I kind of agree too. like a man animation. Never. I still don't feel it gets like the respect that it deserves. Um, even like, and I, I love Pixar and all that stuff, all those things. I think it wasn't maybe until like maybe the Incredibles came out where I feel like auteur, people are like, oh, an auteur can make an animated movie. Because like Brad Bird really is one yeah, of those and people. Brad, because... You know, Brad started in features and, and loves 2D animation. And I thought it was actually Ratatouille that he took over that really blended the feeling of 2D animation and uh, CG because some of the poses of Ratatouille himself as they went through action were very much timed and, and posed like 2d animation, you know, yeah. and that just, yeah. that's just a whole different art form. It's like when yeah. I was talking to Ron and John about Moana and uh, there are some people say, Oh, it should have been in 2d. And it's like, no, it, it couldn't have been in 2d. We could have, you could go through the motions of telling the same story, but it wouldn't have the depth, mm. um, the cultural references of the patterns of the cloth and the materials, the, the feeling of the water, obviously. All of that was so enriching that you just couldn't do in 2D without spending, you know, a billion dollars with a B, you know, to try to get it to happen. So people who... They just sometimes just knee jerk say, oh, it would have been better in 2D. It's like that particular one. I know the guys who created it, you know, it would have been a different show. And they started it with the idea of doing it in 2D yeah. and completely tossed out that idea. That's the one thing that my daughter will actually sit down and watch. She doesn't care. About, I, I don't understand it. 16 months old, the music, everything. So she can sit still for 20 minutes. I'm, and like, as a parent, it's just uh, amazing movie like it's well, see when she gets old enough you have to go to hawaii for a vacation just oh absolutely i would yeah. love that <laughs> that's one of those i would love to see like an mcu like marvel universe of moana i'm like oh there's so much in that world i want to see more of <laughs> connected all but um back to you. Uh, i forgot to say bright bird yeah, whatever uh, but yeah i mean i it's interesting too because like animation is something i love i i so i i grew up in a time too where the simpsons was on network television, so I don't know how old I was when it started, and now obviously still on. So I I grew up thinking animation. I saw no difference from primetime animation to Saturday morning cartoons, where I know like Sam Simon actually started on those old Saturday morning cartoons that weren't really respected. <laughs> and um, it's so interesting. So I, I look back. Well, one of the head know, writers are I haven't checked his credits recently. Michael Price is a huge writer on that. Yeah, he he. Uh, wrote several, I don't know, six or eight uh, Hercules for us. Oh, you know, no Bob way. Bob McCorkle, yeah. And uh, 
I think he did at, at least one Buzz Lightyear. So, oh yeah, yeah, he was at Disney TVA. So he, he's actually been on the show. Yeah. Oh, that's great! Such a nice guy, and he worked on Ah Real Monsters, which yeah. was a Nickelodeon cartoon that still I think holds up. And he was so funny when he was on here. He was talking about how he's worked on one of the greatest shows of all time, The Simpsons, and one of the worst, uh, Homeboys from Outer Space, which I was <laughs> not aware of. But he's like, a writer's a writer. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but so I guess that, that's it's funny. But such and then FS for Family that he's doing now with Bill Burr is mm-hmm. disgustingly inappropriately, but it's really funny and it's got that Sims, James L. Brooks heart, which I I I yeah. love. Um, so yeah, I grew up and I now I look back, I could tell which cartoons were good when I was younger if my dad would watch them with me, and uh, Simpsons we'd always watch, and then Darkwing Duck was one of the ones he would always kind of stay in the room for. And then a couple others. But and then all the ones I would go back and see when I was older, I was like, oh, those aren't good. But Darkwing, um, I'm also that right age of, uh, I was in college when the DVD craze started. So, like, mm-hmm. nostalgia hit me. Because there's a level of you like things for nostalgia's sake. So I'm like, oh, I would see Chippendale and DuckTales. I'd buy those DVDs. Oh, and this is great. But Darkwing was the one that I b- bought and then watched a lot. And I was like, oh, I think I just like this as art. It's There's no nostalgia tied to it anymore. Like, the references, the humor, um, Gosling. Yeah, and I'm al- along with everybody else. I would wish they'd put out all the episodes. But I know. Ugh. And people don't realize the DVD industry is all but gone. Um, yeah, I know. And digital. It's all about it's all about streaming. And so, and of course, Disney's, I guess, creating its own digital footprint or, or whatever. Been hearing uh, that for a while. <laughs> whereas on the on Netflix when they had all the DuckTales on there, we heard from fans in Germany, I think it was, that, oh, no, they're showing all the Darkwing episodes on Netflix over here. So we were hoping they're going to cycle around and it'll pop up. Um, but I have no idea. If, oh, you know, I was hoping. That, that's all about deals and things like that, because I'd love to see them, um, you know, have fancy all the episodes that they haven't been able to see. Uh, I was just talking to someone this morning, actually on another podcast. Um, there's a piece of, there's a minute of Darkwing animation that is some of the, it's one of the best sequences we ever do, and people hardly get to see it. And what it was is when we showed Darkly Dawn's The Duck as a feature, <clears throat> in other words, the two-parter was shown on a Friday night before it goes in the, as a TV special, basically. Well, we designed it because of the different lengths you had to make Mm. to be an extra minute. And I said, what we'll do is I'll design this action sequence, which was Darkwing chasing and then capturing three um, uh, crooks um, and delivering to the police. And it totally captured how he was good at what he did and how things went wrong as he was doing that. Uh, the problem was, and I designed it this way, I said, okay, now when it gets cut up into episodes, just snip out this one minute and put in the opening credits. And it makes all the timing right. The sad thing is when they put it on DVD, nobody thought to ask because oh. they probably just didn't know. They just picked all the negatives from the syndicated run. Nobody went back and to say, oh, and because it could have been a DVD extra, and hopefully someday it'll be. Um it's like, oh, here's the original opening. And uh, it's just, a. I think you can find it if you search the right way on YouTube. 
but definitely check it out. It was beautiful animation by Disney Australia. I, I wish Darkwing, all of it would come back. I have the DVD, and I have friends who know the internet better than me and know how to download stuff that doesn't exist, so I could watch poor quality of VHS things sometimes. <laughs> uh, well, I'll just wait a little long. Hopefully it'll show up in DuckTales again. So. Yeah. Now, I, I did read some stuff. The reboot, is that something... Is that happening? I, I'm not sure if that's a... On Darkwing? Yeah. I that's... think everybody wants one. I mean, every time they mention him at San Diego Comic-Con or whatever, everybody goes nuts. Uh, I know the guys have ideas of how he can pop up in DuckTales in different ways. But, I mean, if they ever choose to make something of him, I mean, they can... There's a million ways to do it. Um, and uh, those guys are just super sharp. But there's nothing, at least they haven't told me, there's no Darkwing series going on uh, at the moment. Just, they have told me some ideas they have for... Yeah using Darkwing in the show that I'm very excited for. It's like, oh, that's awesome, you know. So I'm very encouraging of them and, you know, always push them to do new stuff with them. I feel like it was a re- about a year ago the rumors started kicking around because I, I would find articles about Darkwing Duck reboots in the works. You know you know how that stuff is. But it's like, unlike yeah. reputable news sites, but then maybe it could have just been hearsay. and then. Well, I mean, it's not far-fetched because of the reaction, especially wow. you have – you know, the the reaction of the show. On the other hand, I don't think Disney's in the business of rebooting every old show. No, just live action. Uh, and especially, <laughs> that's true. Uh, but, um, yes, the live action Darkwing Duck is in the works now. Uh, <laughs> That'd be interesting. People in, people in duck costumes. Uh, and like, hand puppets. like Howard the Duck. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The uh, Anyway, the, you know, there's they create new characters. You know, the they certainly understand ducks and and all that um and for all i know even the stuff they ran past me about how he might show up in ducktales could be old news by now as far as that stories constantly change and get redone and all that so um i was just very happy when they showed him the gizmo duck episode that they literally started the episode with it you know so fans weren't spoiled it was like boom right there in front so he's so I know that you've said this in interviews that they take place in alternate universes, DuckTales and, um, and Darkwing Duck, and which you're the creator. So I, I, of course, that's the truth. But man, I was on YouTube today and I literally found like a, a video essay from like Nerdist being like, why the creator of Darkwing Duck is wrong about his own show. And like, that's the thing. Nerdist had me on to rebut because I said, like, but that's, oh, I, I did a comment and I said, oh, Nerdist, Nerdist, Nerdist. You've let me down because you're not nerdy enough. And I basically rebutted, which, because they took out paragraph marks, it looks like this crazy man's rant. But they had me on for an episode uh, and an interview, but that was part of their pay service, so nobody's seen that one. You know, the free one is out there all the time. And the guy who wrote that is a huge fan of the show, but the guy delivering it is so super snarky. <laughs> you know, it's it's hard to, you know not grind my teeth at it but it really comes down to this as i posted recently don't argue alternate universes if you don't understand alternate universes because people point to launchpad as that proves it's the same universe and i said no that proves it's two different universes because in ducktales launchpad was kind of smart and an incredibly bad pilot in darkwing he's a great pilot and really stupid. And I kid the guys on DuckTales who've now 
taken the worst of both. So he's really stupid and a terrible pilot. Uh, and, and what it means is that because people say, oh, it was a crossover, and they said he mentioned Uncle Scrooge. And it's like, yes, it's an alternate universe. All those characters are in the alternate universe. But basically what it meant, because I didn't talk about it at the time, but it just meant that I pitched the original Gizmo Duck when he was called Robo Duck. Um, it was, you know, I pitched that and Space Duck and, and Bubba Duck. And two out of three went. Um, I even named him Fenton Crackshell. That's pretty much all I did. I don't even know that I called him Scrooge's accountant. I'm guessing I didn't. Um, but then they turned him into a, a real character. But if you look on his front, there's an R, not a G. <laughs> because I don't know why the art department didn't make the switch. But you know, Gizmo had an RoboDuck R on it. Anyway, so I know these guys. Uh, but when I came in, when I wanted him in Darkwing, I didn't say research continuity. I didn't even know there was an ongoing gag with his mom, for that matter. Um, I wanted him because he was going to be my Superman. And, and that drives fans crazy because they say, no, he's Iron Man. It's like, no. <laughs> You're the creator. He's, super he's Superman in that he's the hero that everybody loves. He gets all the notoriety. He gets the key to the city. He gets awards and museums, all the stuff that Darkwing wants. Mm. Um, and he gets it. So that's why he's our Superman who comes over, who doesn't give Darkwing any any credit. So on a, he was the perfect foil for Darkwing, you know, on, on a gag level, an emotional level. Um, so we... Slightly redesigned him. I think he is a little buffer on our show, uh, too. And, um, again, it, it just meant we didn't, I mean, we used the same voice and everything, but we didn't, you know, we wrote him the way we wanted to. So that's the alternate universe stuff is anything we did bring from DuckTales. It doesn't wipe out the history. It's just that if Scrooge showed up, we'd write him whatever was appropriate in our show. I mean, the, basic differences of the two universe if you drop a safe on scrooge he probably it's probably a mess uh if you drop it on darkwing the door of the safe will open up and darkwing would come out like an accordion yeah <laughs> um i mean again difference in tone of the shows i mean it's funny because these are the same fans myself included like i love the flash especially like the cw version of flash where there's like multiple universes within that show we have the same yeah. so i'm like just I also find it a little annoying that someone would argue with you, of all people, about it, the person who created it. Like, Well, it's like it's... George Lucas about his stuff. Yeah. You know, you just get it. It's just that, to me, it's everything they say, it's just because they haven't read enough science fiction. Yeah. You know, or, or they haven't watched the original Star Trek. It's like, yeah, the evil universe where there's an evil Captain Kirk and an evil Spock and evil Bones and all that, they were all there. They were just evil. And had goatees. Yes, that's how you um, do. <laughs> so, I mean, that's... I was just saying, the temperament really comes down. The temperament and the tone of the show was different. We weren't trying to make it different. It was just we were bending and metamorphizing, like, launch a huge way to make them right for our show. Yeah, I, uh, and, I, you know, I love our launch pad more than, than the original. And, uh, and I love the new launch pad, you know. But I don't... I don't compare him to our guy, you know, our old guy. It's like, no, he's he's the new version. When you're going to do a new Robin Hood, um, 
you don't look at the last Robin Hood movie or series. You you say, oh, I know the basics, and this is how the we're going to put it in modern day, or we're going to put them in space, or we're going to put them under sea with spear guns or something. You know, you take the basics. Same with Sherlock Holmes. Same with James Bond. And you say, this is how I'm going to reinterpret mm, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's what we were doing with Darkwing. Not in a major way. It was not a conscious thing. Just we didn't worry about how characters are brought over. Now, the new DuckTales <clears throat> is recreating. They're creating their own universe. And they're drawing not from just the old show, but Carl Barks comics, Don Rosa comics, Donald Duck shorts, Donald Duck comic strips. Um, just the old short subject cartoons. Uh, so, and the entire Disney afternoon. And that's why suddenly DuckTales has Sky Pirates yeah. in it. Uh, Tailspin. The guys were huge fan. Exactly. The guys are huge fan of the Disney afternoon. So it's exactly what you said earlier. People have now aged up and they're at least in the middle management and creatively they're all over the place. Uh, and that is what got us on this weird and that's what's so fun, right? <laughs> uh, sidestep. But I mean, that's when I started talking about how TV animation was treated. It's like, you're right. Now it's run by the fans of the shows. Um, and that goes to the people in licensing too, who were super excited when they heard that Gizmo Duck and Darkwing would show up in um, DuckTales. They kind of got, they got that low down early. And that's why it was, it's crazy because he's only been in for a minute, but in that, new action figure line which are I guess in like in little hidden cans um darkwing is one of the chase figures in that which is Do you cool. guys have newberry comics in la it's a it's like a base it's a east coast but it's just a comic book toy store it's pretty great but they have darkwing duck uh toys there like action figures oh well the funko put out this series of of uh, not the pops though i mean the funkos are doing the the little short guys uh, but they also have those action yes, figure yes. type. They did Darkwing and Scrooge yep. and I think Baloo. And, you know, they did a couple of them each show. Uh, that's purely nostalgia driven. Yeah. Whereas the new one was, it's literally the new Darkwing, the new old yeah, Darkwing. Yeah. Uh, the guy with the belt um, <laughs> that showed up in the, the, what Launchpad was the biggest fan of, or is the biggest fan of. I actually had a couple of dear uh, good friends I reached out to. I was like, ah. Oh, to brag, I was like, "Guess who I'm talking to?" Uh, so my friend Max Baines wanted me to ask you, um, "How has animation changed from the early '90s to now?" I'm sure a lot. I think it's gotten. <laughs> it's it's. Well, I mean, it depends on the show you're looking at. It's uh, what they're able to do. And I mean, the last show I did was a Flash animated show for um, Netflix called Kulapari Army of Frogs, um, and there was a lot of hand-drawn 2D animation in it, but it was basically a flash show, just augmented by hand animation. Um, and you can tell it's got a flash look to it, but the effects they were able to do, the multiple characters they would do, was just fantastic for the story we were trying to tell. Um, I did a pilot for Disney that didn't go, based on Beverly Hills Chihuahua, and it was flash, but then but timed in a way that looked more mm. full. And it was like one of the best looking shows I ever did there because of the, in Flash, um, you were able to, you know, keep everything on model. And if you do it wisely, uh, where we were always fighting that in the old shows. But 
again, when they started DuckTales, they made the decision that, no, this show needs to be hand-drawn. It's not a Flash show. I'm sure the Flash is augmented, you know, where it makes sense. But um, you, you'll see animation with real acting because they actually have animators in Burbank, uh, or technically Glendale, I guess, um, that will pose out scenes before it ships overseas or correct scenes after they come back. Um, and it, so, I mean, there's just a lot more animation knowledge. The problem is actually overseas. When we did that, or the Disney afternoon, everything was hand-drawn. So you had a lot of experienced animators and the challenge was to get the studios with the good animators Plus the the A team, the people who, you know, we found out in, a, in an unfortunate way that, oh, we love the studio because they have the best team. But then the second season, you found out that that team was put on some other company's show to make that show look good. And that's when Disney started putting people's names in contracts. We need this director on the episodes and stuff. Um, but now... It's hard. They only have a couple of studios they work with, but the guys have really stepped up. And again, like I say, working with more posing and um, technology of storyboards is now you kind of are building an animatic reel as you work digitally. Um, so it's a lot more animation and timing guidance that way. Now, I also read, I don't know if this is, is Wikipedia, so this might not be true, but did you do the storyboards for Bob's Burgers? I did. I worked as a storyboard artist. Oh, that's awesome. I love, love that show. I was on for at least two seasons, maybe a third. I forget. Uh, I worked for the director was Jennifer Coyle, who's done fantastic stuff. She actually directed on my pilot of that Beverly Hills Chihuahua thing. Uh, she also did the DC superhero girls that were online and now turning into a show. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, I've heard of that. Yeah. And uh, anyway, she was a storyboard artist for me on the animated Hellboy cartoons. Um, so that's often how the industry works. You're working for somebody and then they're working for you. You know. Um, anyway, it was during that time I actually, in one of the hiatuses, I did the pilot. They produced the pilot for Disney. And that kind of gave me a light at the end of the tunnel. The, what I loved about Bob's Burgers is how funny it was. What I hated about Bob's Burgers for me is it's a totally script-run show, and you can't even add in a gag at storyboard stage. You could do timing, and there was one sequence I did of Bob's, Bob being drunk in the kitchen that they actually had to pull drawings out because my storyboards were more animated than the style of animation of the show. Um but it once the pilot didn't go, I just and I took it out of Jennifer. Uh, you know, I just was not a happy camper because I was, you know, I was a showrunner, and um, what I should have been doing all that time instead of looking for storyboard jobs is to look for more writing jobs. And I did some, but it was one of those things my wife and who said, why did you go in that direction? I said, cause I needed a job. Remember? Yeah, yeah. Uh, cause I was out of work for about a year and a half, I want to say. Um, and that's after doing all those shows. So you know, there's no guarantees. Um, anyway, so, you know, it has mixed feelings. With Bob's, I worked on some pilots. I did, I storyboarded on Bob's, but I was, you know, the guy in the cubicle on the left. I was not a director on the show or 
any creative input. I was an exit keeper. <laughs> and I, I know I read you were you are now retired, but it looks like you do pop up a lot of the cons around the country. Well, w about the same time, I was told no, it makes sense to retire early, <laughs> uh, retire a year earlier than I planned on. Um, I got my first invitation to a convention where they fly you out and they pay for everything. And so I had to, to have something at a table to sell. I can't make prints of my stuff because they're all owned by Disney. Um, so I just do original art leading up to a convention. And, uh, that's one, I got much better at drawing and inking. My old staff said, Wow, you've really improved. <laughs> it was like, yeah, maybe I should have done this 25 years ago. Because uh, I drew all the time, but it was like on storyboard mm -hmm. notes and little scribbles, things like that, where here these are, you know, starting with a rough sketch to final ink and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, the fun thing about going to conventions is meeting fans. Because, like I said before, Ron Clemens and Glenn Keane, uh, the guys I started with, they go to a movie theater. They hear how fans react. Uh, we had this abstract thing called ratings, <laughs> but um, it's not the same as hearing somebody laugh. Or uh, And I had people literally 25 years later respond to what we had done. And it was just, it's, it continues to be amazing. And in fact, I'm doing Dragon Con at the end of this month, um, which was my favorite con uh, other than Maui <laughs> when they flew me to Hawaii. Um Anyway, at, at Dragon Con, it's like for me the sweet spot because I have all this original art to sell and the, the, the conventions have different age ranges. Like anime conventions tend to be younger fans and uh, Dragon Con is just, you know, the sweet spot are people in their 30s who um, were huge fans of the show and have a little disposable yeah. income. <laughs> That's so, so, so whole families come up and the kids have watched all the DVDs with their parents and stuff and they'll buy something for the kids and, you know, I just get to chat with them and all that. So um, in between conventions, I try to bank up drawings because it's fun, but it's also since I'm doing the same characters over and over, plus the characters I did 25 to 30 years ago, um, I don't like to do it all the time. Because I have new characters I like to, like to draw or create for, and then crazy other creative things have popped up. Like uh, recently, I've gotten into um, building jetpacks and costumes of the foam. Um, so I just did this one. I have my five-year-old granddaughter. She's about to be five. Is having a bug birthday. Oh, I saw that Twitter. That is amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah you can sell those at cons. Podcast can't see, but. Uh, yeah. That's pretty great. Oh, what a lucky. People said, is that, is that going to show up at uh, Dragon Con? I said, no, I couldn't pack it. I'd have to wear it. Nobody wants to be in the TSA line oh. behind me. This thing. Um, anyway, that's just like a, just a random creative activity that I have the science fiction idea of if you follow my Instagram or my Twitter, you'll see drawings of them it's echidnas monsters basically and they have a whole story they have you know i'm well past the point where i would be hiring 80 people to turn it into a series but i'm retired so i don't want to be working a full-time no, job course, that I'm not being, so i kind of struggled with i have a work ethic that says i should be working on that project and then it's like 
but why? Yeah, I don't. Time. What yeah. if it's successful? You know. Um, so I want to. Uh, I mean, it'd be great if I won the lottery, so I could just hire you know Brett Bean to illustrate my comics that I write, uh, and then self-publish them. But uh, but I toy with that and doing things like, hey, I spent a week doing that weird hat. I uh, went to the Russian River and and learned about um, rock hounding and came back with all these beautiful rocks that I found out I could polish just with sandpaper and stuff like that. Um, just things I kind of halfway know and play with So um, and other creative things. So, again, I'm trying to figure it out. Do I have to produce something? Part of it is if I did write a book or make a comic book of my own, I could then do prints of those characters uh, and have something to sell at conventions that I didn't have to draw you know, for three months leading up to the convention. Um, but we'll see. It's an ongoing thing. I realized that I could do a parody book of my creations of like a steampunk Darkwing Duck or a, you know, Darkwing cast in different movie genres because that would be kind of legal parody. And it's like, well, I could I could do that as a sketchbook and have something to sell. So who knows? I'd buy that. Uh, well, thank you uh, so much for coming on. Where can people find you online? Pretty much it's always by my name. Um, so I'm Tad Stones on Facebook and Tad Stones on Twitter and on Instagram. So some variation of that. You'll quickly find out. I actually have an old dead Facebook account from when I forgot my uh, password and couldn't get back into it. So people keep – I thought I was your friend. It was like, well – you're going to a site I can't get to anymore. Um, but pretty much you can find me. If you are just interested in the artwork, then definitely follow me on Instagram because uh, I anything I do, I try to put there just to have an ongoing archive of the stuff I'm doing. Um, I don't friend anybody anymore on Facebook, but you can follow me. And pretty much I don't do private messages anyway, so you're getting the same stuff. And on Twitter, feel free to follow me. I'm sometimes chatting with DuckTales guys or other uh, animation creators or comic creators. And, uh, you know, it's just fun keeping up that sense of community, which was so much fun when I was working in the industry. So, And please uh, come see me at DragonCon in Atlanta because that is a fantastic convention. And I love meeting people at the table. Well, thank you so much. Have a good rest of your night. I'll put it up a couple of weeks. I'll let you know ahead of time. And uh, uh, thanks for all of your work. And it's something I've enjoyed my entire life. And I can't wait to pass it down to the next generation. Well, you are welcome. <laughs> thank you very much. You too.